doing today on this fine for me Sunday afternoon in the smack dab middle of January. Hope you guys are doing well. Welcome back. For those of you who have never listened before, this show is not rocket science and we talk about the intersectional relationship between business, technology most of the time, and culture. Um, in a variety of different areas, domains, etc. I'm Sean, your host. Thank you for listening. And let's get into it. So, this week, I really wasn't sure what to talk about. There's a few things going on. Instagram seems to be dialing back on IGTV. I did a whole episode about IGTV in the past. But honestly, it just didn't... It wasn't that interesting. They're basically kind of embedding IGTV back into the main Instagram core experience, not trying to get people to download the IGTV app because it was a commercial flop. There was only about mm, 7 million downloads or so compared to other apps like TikTok that in the same time have gotten like 1.5 billion downloads. And all that's well and good, but I don't know. It just didn't interest me as much um, at this point. We all know IGTV is kind of a flop, so there's no point in kind of lamenting about it and going into the details of why it was a flop. It's a, you know, it's it's a flop because something newer and cooler caught the attention, became part of the zeitgeist, and it got left behind. It is what it is. Um, but what I wanted to do instead was talk about something a little different, something I've never, to my knowledge, not talked about on this show yet. Um... I like to talk about kind of the business of various different types of industries and sometimes how technology can play into that, how culture plays into that, some of the unique aspects of that particular business, whether it be a model, whether it be the people, etc. And one thing that I'm super interested in um, on the side from technology and things like that is mixed martial arts fighting. I've talked about MMA on this show as a uh, analogy to certain aspects of uh, career growth, business growth, etc. I think it's a great analogy in that sense um, because you know there's never enough to know if you're a mixed martial arts fighter because it's all fighting styles and you'll see if you follow it there's certain trends certain types of techniques become in vogue and then the uh, puzzle gets solved and then you move on to the next thing that comes up and it's a global phenomenon so there's people from all over the world kind of creating their own styles techniques etc right now new zealand's kind of the new wave but I think a lot of that's translatable to business. A lot of it's translatable when analyzing um, technology trends, etc. 
also career growth as far as like what I do in UX and product design. They're both kind of hybrid industries where there's never enough to know and it's about figuring out how to kind of build your path and skill set in a way that makes you stand out and have an advantage over the competition. That's kind of how I've talked about MMA in the past. This time, though, I figure it would be interesting to kind of dive into the business of MMA itself, considering just last night, uh, Conor McGregor, who's the biggest star in mixed martial arts, made his return to the octagon. It's been a long time, almost a year since he's fought. Had a big night, 42nd TKO win over Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Um, this isn't a sports show, so I'm not going to get into like the sports aspect of it, but more so looking at the UFC as a business, uh, pro fighting as a business, and just kind of giving some overview on the uniqueness of that industry because to me it is one of the wackiest and most fascinating industries um, that exists, period, pretty much. I've done one of these about college football. College football is wacky in its own way. But the UFC is one of the most interesting stories in business in the past 30, 40, 50 years even. Um, So the UFC originally was a promotional tool uh, for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was... At the time, late 80s, early 90s, this kind of secret martial art that not a lot of people knew about, but those who did know about it knew how dangerous it was, how effective it is, particularly if you're a smaller person and you have to fight a bigger person. And the Gracie family kind of leveraged the UFC early on as this um, way to promote Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because the Gracie family created Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and they're a massive, massive family and kind of like this business enterprise in the Jiu-Jitsu world. And they basically knew they were going to win all the early UFC tournaments because they had a massive advantage. Um, And that was true. Hoist Gracie was the original UFC tournament champion. Um, And he was a little guy tapping out all these big monsters, you know, roided to the gills. And, uh, that was kind of like the early days of UFC. It didn't really know what it was going to be yet. It was kind of still like blood sport. You had sumo wrestlers fighting kickboxers, fighting jujitsu guys, fighting these juiced out like catch wrestling, WWE looking guys. Um, it was interesting. It was kind of like the Street Fighter video game. But it wasn't really a sport yet. It was kind of this side spectacle. And that was in the early 90s. And it it made some money here and there, but there wasn't any like sustained growth. The big of growth, the big events were kind of one offs. Um, there was no real business model around it. The founder of it didn't really know how to properly grow it. And by the end of the nineties, it was kind of this dying thing. No one knew what to do with it. The WWE and professional wrestling in the late nineties hit a massive growth spurt when it came to. Um, their TV ratings, their pay-per-view buys. They had uh, they entered something called the Attitude Era in WWE. It's when The Rock ascended to superstar status, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then you also had the WCW um, and WWE competing head-to-head. So there was this massive, massive um, 
influx of new wrestling fans, wrestling became really part of the uh, mainstream pop culture at that point. Like The Rock hosted Saturday Night Live for the first time, got into movies, and the rest is history there. So UFC was kind of just casted aside in the late 90s. And then what happened was Dana White, who's the current president, um, he was a fight fan. He was a believer in it. He thought there. He went to a live event and was like, "There's no way this isn't marketable. It's so exciting. We, it just has to be packaged the right way." But he kind of caught the bug going to one event. He happened to have rich friends. That always helps in business, ladies and gentlemen. Having rich friends um, convinced his rich friends, who were the Fertitta brothers to buy the UFC and at the time when they bought it I believe they bought it for uh, 2 million dollars in the beginning of 2001 they eventually sold for 4 billion dollars so that's a pretty damn good flip going from 2 million to 4 billion so it's one of the best business uh, deals of all time really from what I've seen another thing I forgot to mention is in the late 90s before the Fertitta brothers bought the UFC was that in the late 90s, uh, Washington started to target the UFC, calling it, you know, human cockfighting. John McCain was really behind that, and uh, they were really trying to wipe it out at that time. So it, as an asset, the UFC was kind of dead, which was why they were, the Fertitta brothers were able to get it for $2 million. Now, the Fertitta brothers own station casinos in Las Vegas, their father, Frank Fertitta Jr., um, founded Station Casinos, which was basically the gambling hub for Las Vegas locals back in the day. I mean, they still exist now, but um, basically it was this niche served where you had all these tourists going to the Strip, but Station Casinos was created for Las Vegas locals to be able to gamble off the Strip at a cheaper cost, um, built that up, became, you know, multi, multi-millionaires doing that. Also, you know, they have some interesting ties to uh, certain families in Texas. There was a uh, kind of a crime family history in Texas that they have a little bit to do with. Um, the history of that family is very kind of similar to the movie casino in certain ways if you know what i mean um it was kind of the same time in terms of when station casinos were built up very interesting history um but it's kind of ancient history at this point now the fertitas have an investment firm and they're doing that hands off wme the uh like WME agency, a talent agency. They are now the principal owners of UFC. Dana White is the acting president. It is a little bit less of the wild, wild west, more of a typical large-scale business. Um, but the UFC in the what we call the Zufa era, the Zufa era was... Zufa was the company of the Fertitas that bought the UFC... Um, that was kind of when they hit their growth spurt. They were struggling for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And then they 
eventually got the rights to the TV show Ultimate Fighter that they produced themselves because they got no funding from a TV station, but Spike TV at the time were willing to air it if they produced it. So they did that, um, and that's what kind of set the UFC off. They had a finale fight for a UFC contract, um, and it was Forrest Griffin versus Stephen Bonner, and that was the fight that kind of got into everyone's TV, everyone's household, and kind of got momentum for the UFC to eventually become a real sport. And it kind of took off from there. Um, they had a lot of pay-per-view stars over the years. Brock Lesnar, a crossover from wrestling. George St. Pierre, um, who was kind of like the Captain America, even though he's Canadian. But, you know, kind of like all-American good guy, super talented fighter profile. Um, John Jones, who's like the most talented guy in the sport, but kind of dysfunctional. You had Ronda Rousey, which was the big crossover success story. Um, she's now doing wrestling, and I think she's actually becoming a mom right now. But she was kind of the big, the next big um, star that really took the UFC to the next level as far as like getting on shows like Ellen and getting that real mainstream crossover appeal. Um, and then Conor McGregor kind of took that and ran with it. In a slightly different lane, Conor McGregor's not really on Ellen, but he did the crossover fight with Floyd Mayweather. You know, he's kind of this brash, trash talker. Had a, a rough past couple years. He lost to Khabib Nurmagomedov, who's probably one of the bigger international stars. Um, really got whooped pretty bad. He's had legal trouble. Ireland's kind of turned on him. So right now... All of that aside, the UFC is looking at Conor McGregor to do kind of a redemption tour. Um, he's been very apologetic, very different from his previous fights leading up to this one. He was very uh, cordial with Donald Cerrone comparatively to his previous opponents, even though early in his UFC career he was similar with um, in terms of temperament with uh, Max Holloway and Marcus Brimage early in his UFC career. But... Basically, where we're at right now is the UFC looks at Conor McGregor as their golden goose. When he stopped being as active as a UFC fighter in 2017, UFC's pay-per-view buys plummeted. Plummeted, plummeted, plummeted. They um, had a hard time breaking 300K. With McGregor, they usually hit a million. There's no fighter in history that has had... Uh, consistently that much pull when it comes to numbers, which is why McGregor has, on top of you know his liquor company, Proper 12, uh, on top of endorsement deals, it's why he's been in the top five athletes on the Forbes um, highest paid athlete list, which is kind of a BS list, like most of these magazine lists. But still, there's no other MMA fighter make right now making anything remotely close to that so UFC is in an interesting state because Conor McGregor you know he cares about his legacy and he he, he had a rough couple of years and he's saying he's you know recentered his mind he's saying all the right things but from a business standpoint here's what is interesting about the UFC now so forever from the time the UFC was a freak show in the 90s to the Zufa era to Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor becoming stars to GSP and Brock Lesnar being stars, Kenny Velasquez, etc. Um, 
the model for the UFC is to always pick big pay-per-views and use those few big pay-per-views to be the drivers of business for the entire calendar year. Like most businesses, the UFC plan quarterly, um, and they do press conferences to introduce the fights for that quarter. And what they do is they pick their spots, and there's a few pay-per-views every year that are the big money makers. They stack them. Usually, it's uh, historically, they've done them around Super Bowl, uh, end of the year, so sometime in mid to late December, uh, July, so around July 4th, they do a big one. There might be a couple other dates, but those are usually the times where they really stack the cards and invest a lot, and that's when they tend to bring out the big guns, Conor McGregor, and in the past, the Brock Lesnar's, Ronda Rousey's usually fight around those times. Um, but now they're only down to Conor McGregor, and they have a new rising star out of New Zealand, Israel Adesanya, who has a lot of potential as a uh, as a pay per view star. But there's only two of them, so they have to really pick their spots, um, see what makes the most sense, but. The real thing I wanted to get to is that historically these pay-per-views were just kind of produced by UFC, typical pay-per-view, kind of like boxing. But now the UFC cut a deal a little over a year ago, I believe, with ESPN. So now all of UFC's content is on ESPN's streaming service, ESPN+. Plus. So what UFC did was they made a bet to kind of future proof their business by jumping exclusively onto the into the the uh, streaming world before it's really mainstream for sports. When it comes to sports, live television is still king, cable still king, but we all know but we all know that that has a limited shelf life and the future is streaming the way it already is when it comes to regular shows on Netflix, Hulu, etc. Um, the bet the UFC is making from a business standpoint is live sports is going to go that way too. I agree with them. It's They just were very forward-thinking. So when they first launched on ESPN+, Plus, the streaming service, they were getting very little traction. Um, very little people were converting because they're looking at it as a long-term play. And there's some issues with it because you have to pay the streaming fee monthly on top of the pay-per-view. So you're spending $70 really for a pay-per-view rather than um, 60 in the past or 50 back in the day. Um, but what's really interesting is with Conor McGregor coming back on this redemption tour with the UFC being on ESPN+, Plus, it'll be interesting to see how they go about promoting Conor McGregor knowing that he's in... He has direct access to ESPN now. Like during the lead-up to the fight, he was on the front page of ESPN.com multiple days. Um, before, you know, it was just kind of UFC doing pay-per-views on their own. Now they have this ESPN machine behind them. It's going to be interesting to see if they can get more people on board to, their plat- to the ESPN Plus platform using Conor McGregor as kind of that carrot. But, you know, it's a much bigger commitment than buying a la carte pay-per-views, which they can still do, I believe. But um, I think there's some deal where you can still buy the pay-per-views as normal. But I just want to see what ESPN 
and the UFC strategy is moving forward now that Conor McGregor is back as an active fighter, how they use him um, to promote ESPN Plus, and does that uh, rapidly drive more conversion to people subscribing to ESPN Plus and to um, kind of galvanize the movement of sports streaming services becoming the norm as a whole. That's what I'm interested in. Uh, I think they will do a decent amount of work in terms of getting that done. But the unfortunate thing is, is because all of UFC's fights are now under the ESPN Plus banner or ESPN banner, you don't really know what the pay-per-view numbers are anymore. And there's this debate going on in the MMA community saying, well, now that they're under contract and in bed with ESPN, there's no need to kind of push so hard to get these massive pay-per-view numbers. Um, they don't really care because they, you know, it's they're getting money from ESPN because they have this long-term deal. It's kind of true in a way, but kind of not really because at the end of the day, at some point, the ESPN crew and the UFC crew are going to have to renegotiate contracts when that contract expires, and it's going to be performance-based like anything else. You know, at, at a certain point, ESPN has to look at their numbers for UFC content and see if, you know, it's worth re-signing or not. Therefore, there's still an active um, investment in having good pay-per-view numbers, which right now is being helped by Conor McGregor wanting to do this comeback redemption tour. So I think the UFC is actually in a pretty good spot right now. Um, It'll be interesting, though, to see how long... Conor McGregor wants to fight. He doesn't need to fight. He's doing this more for, you know, quote-unquote legacy-based reasons um, and because he probably likes to fight. But he really doesn't need to, and the problem is always what's next, what's next. And Dana White, UFC president, is always like, you know, there was no Conor McGregor at one point. They'll be fine. They'll find another person. Conor McGregor is unique. Um, I think Israel Adesanya has a lot of a lot of promise behind him, but it's just an interesting dynamic because you're also dealing with ESPN, which is Disney essentially, working with guys like Dana White, who you know has been involved with like criminalish types of people in the past. You know, the DNA of the UFC is based on you know unsavory character affiliations and it's this kind of wild wild west business that is now becoming mainstream under wme under disney or espn and how this whole thing is going to play out it's pretty interesting it's kind of interesting though to see that there's still businesses that are worth billions of dollars captivate the mainstream audience whose roots are very similar to Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro in a Scorsese movie, particularly Casino. To me, it absolutely blows my mind. Um, I don't want to go too deep into the history there because it kind of, it's more just like mafia history, if you will. But that is the roots and that is the DNA of the modern UFC, the UFC that got sold for $4 billion. Um, 
So it's interesting to see where they go from here, how mainstream they get, and whether or not they recapture the magic they had in 2016, which they probably won't fully recapture because that was the most profitable time in the history of the UFC. It's right around when they sold. The uh, Fertitta brothers were very smart in doing so because they knew they had, at that time, Brock Lesnar, Conor McGregor, and Ronda Rousey, three of the biggest stars they'll probably ever have, all fighting at the same time. Conor McGregor was kind of on his ascension to superstardom, kind of capturing that and and starting his crossover appeal uh, Ronda Rousey was kind of at the end of her UFC run, and Brock Lesnar came back. So that was a rare occurrence. Um, I don't know if you're going to see that again, but I think you know the UFC kind of fell off in 2017, inched closer to a comeback in 2018, 2019, but I think in 2020 it's going to be a big year for them moving forward. Um, I think ESPN Plus will be more and more mainstream. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, what other large sports ESPN invests in on their plus platform from a marketing and advertising standpoint? Because right now the UFC has been their main driver for business on ESPN Plus. So I want to see if they get into like college football, for example, more aggressively. On e- they, they've you know they dabble with it a little bit, but they haven't really been aggressively marketing other sports on ESPN Plus the same way they've been doing so with the UFC. So that is kind of an overview of the UFC as a business right now. As far as the fighters, one of, so back to the roots of, you know, casino owners owning the business, the fighters, one of the biggest issues in the UFC is fighter pay. Um, Fighters are not full-time employees with benefits. They're semi-private contractors. Um, So they're, you know, hired guns essentially, which has been a, point of uh, contention because you know they don't get health insurance they have to pay for their own camps their coaches their training some guys can um i think fighters can go to las vegas if they want to and use the ufc training facility if they're a signed fighter but the ufc isn't really paying for their health insurance other than i think sometimes they pay for like hospital visits right after a fight they'll do that there's like backroom bonuses that never really get um, disclosed until recently because the UFC is getting sued. So they're releasing all of that finally. But it's still this kind of weird world as far as how people are paid, almost like a nightclub or something. It's a it's an interesting beast, but it's it's helped their PNL when it comes to getting sold to WME. You know, if you're if you're a ruthless businessman, I kind of see why you would take that approach. It's just from an ethics standpoint, um, is it the right thing to do when it comes? Should fighters be full time employees? That's kind of been a hot button topic of discussion, especially considering um, I think around 2014 ish, late 2014, they struck a deal with Reebok where now all fighters have to wear Reebok uniforms and they get payouts based on how many fights they've had in the UFC, but the payouts are nothing compared to what fighters used to be able to make when they were able to get their own sponsors. If you were a hustler and you had a bunch of sponsors, you can make six figures just off sponsors per fight. Now, I think the most you can make is like between seven and ten grand um, from your Reebok deal. So that was another 
point where the fighters felt like they were getting screwed over. So that's the other side of the business, the uh, less glamorous side, um, the actual fighters themselves and what they have to deal with. So that's kind of just a high-level overview of the dynamic of the UFC, what's going on in the future, what they're going to do, knowing Conor McGregor is their cash cow, how they're going to play that game. Dana White saying rematch with Khabib Nurmagomedov, which is interesting because I think most people feel like he has no chance to win that fight. However, it's two of the biggest, I'd say, four stars in the sport. Um, Israel Adesanya is getting really big. Conor McGregor is the biggest. Khabib is probably the biggest in certain parts of the country of the world like russia for example not as big in the united states but very big globally so that is kind of me painting the landscape of where the ufc is right now i'm excited to see where it's going moving forward um i just want to give you guys kind of this understanding of the history of the business the characters that made up the business, what it is now, which is Disney and WME, and where they're at going forward considering Conor McGregor just had his comeback fight, 42nd TKO to Donald Cerrone. Um, Yeah, I want to know if you guys find this interesting at all. If you're not into fighting, I don't know. I personally feel like if you're just into business, the UFC story is one of the more unique and interesting ones. If you're into... uh, let's say Scorsese movies reading up on the history of Zufa and uh, Station Casinos is an interesting deep dive on Wikipedia for sure Um, and to me it's just one of these weird things that's like this old outdated industry that you don't really see much of anymore with characters in charge that you don't really see in this kind of wishy-washy politically correct world we're living in still doing the damn thing um i don't know i find it fascinating from a cultural standpoint from a business standpoint and uh hope you guys do too so i just want to give this high level overview of the ufc as a business how their business operates how it works um how you know they relied on the pay-per-view model but now they're in a contract with espn so it's a little bit different um that's why they're doing more events, less stacked pay-per-views. But with Conor McGregor back, we shall see. All right. Thank you guys so much. If you want to have a comment, question, please hit us up as usual at notrocketscienceshow at gmail.com or on Twitter or Instagram at NRS underscore show. Um, also, if you want to leave a review in the App Store, it would be much appreciated. Thank you guys so much. Hope you have a great upcoming week. And as always, peace.